Thank you, Jim, for that ministry of music. Well, um, if it didn't blow away while you were driving here, I assume you still have your Bibles with you. Take them out. Now's the time to turn to Ruth. It was really windy, wasn't it, this afternoon? I don't know if it was where you live, but here I felt the church roof was going to blow off in the afternoon. So I'm glad it's still here. I think it's died down a little bit, but it was quite, quite an afternoon. Uh, hope every, everything was okay on your end. Turn to Ruth, and uh, that's where we're going to be tonight. Ruth chapter 2. We're going to be going through the book of Ruth, as I said last time. That was two weeks ago since we had Fellowship Sunday. And that takes us to the second chapter. There's four chapters in Ruth. And so hopefully we'll be able to get, get through this in good time. Tonight I'm just tackling the, the chapter itself. Um, let me ask you this. Have you ever had somebody come to your aid? Like, like have somebody, a person, you know, uh, that you knew of that, that helped you out in a time of great need. And you can think back on it and say, yes, I know that person. That When I was most desperate, when I was in greatest physical need or emotional need, that person came and helped me out. Uh, in our story today, Ruth and Naomi are in a great situation of need, a desperate situation, but a mysterious stranger named Boaz is going to show them uncommon kindness. And we will see that just when these women were At their wit's end, God provided a kind individual to provide for their needs and to keep them safe. And uh, through that, we see more than just a person who helps them out, but a God who comes to their aid and knows of their needs before they even ask. So that's what we're at in Ruth chapter 2. So you can open to that portion of Scripture. Before we dive into the text, we'll review, since it has been two weeks since we talked about Ruth 1. Maybe you're familiar with the story. It's not too hard for you. But just to review, in Ruth chapter 1, we were introduced, of course, to the person the book's named after, Ruth, and also Naomi. In fact, Naomi's mentioned first. She's from Bethlehem and is married to a man named Elimelech. If you ever have any trouble pronouncing that name, I just think of the, you know, in the jungle, the mighty jungle. Alimelech, Okay, that's just. Uh, now, whenever you read that, you're not going to be, you're not going to help, but sing it. Okay, that. I'm glad my wife found that funny. If only my jokes were that funny at home. But uh, I, anyway, Alimelech. There you go. You know his name forever. Uh, she, he was married to Naomi and. Unfortunately, while they were in the land of Moab, he died and they had to come to the land of Moab because there was uh, a famine in the land of Bethlehem. So they had to leave. And and that's why they're in this foreign foreign country, actually an enemy of Israel. Uh, Moab was. And and while they were there, uh, before Elimelech died, her, her sons, I'm sorry, her, her yes, her sons uh, married two women from the land of Moab. One was Orpah and the other was Ruth. And uh, I don't have clever songs to go along with their names. I'm sorry. Uh, But Naomi was uh, first left without her husband. And then both of her sons passed away as well, leaving just her and her daughter-in-laws. And seeing no other options, uh, having heard that the famine had passed in Judah, Naomi decided to go back home. She didn't want her daughter-in-laws to have to suffer through the hardships she would. So she encouraged them to go back home. She recognized she was old. She wasn't probably going to be able to get remarried, to have further kids. She said, my life's going to be hard. Why don't you just go back to your parents and find new husbands? Remarry, make a new life for yourself. Don't trouble yourself with me. And and she insisted for a long time. Orpah initially refused and wanted to stay with her. But then after a while, she did leave. And then um, after that, Ruth, though, decided to stay which was pretty remarkable. She pledged to Naomi in verse 16 of chapter 1, 
Where you go, I will go. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. So Naomi and Ruth went back to Bethlehem. However, as we said, their troubles were far from over. Just because Ruth made this tremendous commitment, they're still in trouble. They don't have a way of being provided for. Again, they're, they're without their husbands, which back in that day would have been a bigger problem than obviously it is today. And they couldn't just go out and find a job or they probably didn't know a trade. They didn't really have many options in front of them. So they were still going to be facing a life of poverty unless something happened uh, in their favor. So now that brings us to chapter two. And as we begin reading in verse one, we see that the author introduces us to this individual who's going to play an important role. His name's Boaz. And it says he's a relative of Naomi through her husband, Elimelech. And verse one reads, now, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. The author tells us of this relationship here for our benefit. But at the moment, you have to recognize that Ruth doesn't know this. Okay, this is going to be an important detail later on, but we don't know. Ruth doesn't know that and she doesn't know what's going to happen through this man. Uh, We'll find out later on why this is important. But verse one tells us at least that Boaz was a man of great wealth. If you have an NAS, that's what it says to you. And NIV and ESV and all those probably have similar translations as well. Now, we're going to see Boaz's wealth in just a moment. Okay, he's going to own a field. He's going to have servants. He's a pretty well off guy. And that's an accurate statement. Although I should point out to you that I think it's odd that it's translated as a man of great wealth here because it's totally unlike the way that phrase, great wealth, is translated elsewhere in the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Judges. And this matters because the book of Judges was written around the same time as Ruth, we think. And some people even assume that it's written by the same person. So if you're going to look and see how a phrase in Hebrew should be translated, it's helpful to look at the same author, the same time period of writing. And there's only two other times in the book of Judges where this Hebrew phrase for a great wealth um, is used. And I'll give them to you. Judges 6.12 In both of these, it's not translated that way in a totally different way, actually. Judges 6.12, it says the Lord's messenger appeared to him and said, the Lord be with you, courageous warrior or great warrior. So it doesn't say great wealth. Those are those the same two words, but it's translated as great warrior in Judges 6.12. Then if we look at Judges 11.1, we find the same phrase and it says now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a brave warrior. Okay, same two words that are translated as great wealth or wealthy person um, are translated here in Judges as brave warrior. So I would be inclined to think that as we come to Ruth, the best way for us to understand that is in the same light as it's translated everywhere else. That Boaz, yes, he is a man of wealth. We can tell that. But I would even go further and say that perhaps he was also a great warrior, as this phrase is translated elsewhere in Judges. So who knows? This is a time of judges, a time of war. Uh, It is not implausible to to imagine Boaz as being a man who is wealthy, but also maybe wealthy because he was an officer of some sort in the Israelite military or the Judean military. Okay, so Boaz, you can picture as this rich man, um, a valiant man, a man who's respected. And I would add to that a brave warrior as well, or at least somebody who had a military record behind him. So that kind of gives us a fuller picture of Boaz, doesn't it? If we think of him in that light. Now, the barley harvest was just beginning, as I already said, and Ruth and Naomi are poor and they need food. So 
in verse 2, Ruth asked Naomi if she might go into the fields to glean, that is, to follow after the harvesters and pick up anything that might be left behind. We see it's verse 2. It says, And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go into the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whom, uh, whose favor I may find favor, uh, whose sight I may find favor, excuse me. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Now, if that sounds like stealing to you, don't worry, it's not. It's okay. Because essentially what's happening is she's saying, let me go into this other person's field and take some of their grain. It might sound a little strange to us. If I just walked over to the nearby farmer's field and just picked stuff up, uh, you might say, Pastor Dave, I don't think you should do that. Uh, that's, that's stealing. Well, back in, the, in, the, in, in that time, in the law of Moses, there was actually provision for this. So if somebody saw her doing this, they wouldn't say, here's a lawbreaker, but actually she's doing something that was allowed. And it was called gleaning, as, as we as we see, if we were to go to Leviticus 19.9 or, or 23.22, you don't have to turn there. There are laws that said that as you acquire wealth, if you have a field for yourself, as your harvesters go through that, if there's any grain that they drop, don't pick it up. Leave it there for the poor people in the land to be able to, to, um, to pick up after you. Because I am the Lord your God and, and I look out for the widow and for the poor and, and all those other uh, dis- disenfranchised individuals. So God specifically commanded them to do it that way and for people to come in after them. That was okay. Um, to me, as Ruth is asking to go do this, actually this shows a measure of devotion um, to her mother-in-law. I, I see that in Ruth. Uh, we're not told of Naomi going out to, to glean, but Ruth is the one who does. And even though she's older, we're not told that she's somehow unable physically to go out and do this. She's not that old. She's just a little bit older than 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 uh, than Ruth is. And and Ruth yet is the one who's going out to do this. We don't hear anything of Naomi going out with her, especially in light of some of the dangers that are going to come up, you know, maybe be present for Ruth to go out and do this. It's not going to be an easy thing for her. In fact, she was risking her life in going out to glean. She's very vulnerable being a single woman out on her own. Naomi, maybe you could argue, would have gone out with her just to provide some measure of protection. We don't see that. So I think it says a lot. I'm not meaning to put down Naomi for any reason. We don't know the reason why she didn't go out. But what I am saying is it shows a measure of devotion on Ruth's part because here she is willing to go out and work all day and all night to provide not just for herself, but for her mother-in-law. Not her mother, but her mother-in-law, somebody she's pledged herself to. And that shows a big measure of, of devotion, I think. So with Naomi's approval, Ruth sets out to find a field in which to work. And mind you, Ruth wasn't looking for any specific field. She just looked outside, found one, and and chose it. Um, Maybe she chose one because it was nearby in hopes of finding favor with the owner and the harvesters. But as we find out in verse 3, she ends up unwittingly choosing the portion of the field belonging to this man, Boaz. And somebody might say that's a coincidence, but we know better. There are no coincidences with God. Uh, This is intentional. Uh, This is God's sovereignty at work. In verse 3, it says, So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. So the text doesn't tell us here, but later on in verse 7, through the words of the, the harvesters, we find out that Ruth had asked permission of Boaz's foreman, who was supervising those who were harvesting, and she was told that she was free to glean. She even asked permission to go into this field. Okay? And that's a wonderful thing that she ends up here. Uh, Ruth arrives early 
in the morning and uh, works for some time. And and it's amazing that these harvesters allow her to work there, that they don't turn her away. That wasn't a given. Sometimes people just say, get out of here, you, you poor person. You know, get out of my field. I don't want you here. Just find somebody else to bother. OK, but that's not what happens. She's allowed to glean. She does from morning until sometime until Boaz himself arrives in the field where she's gleaning. So follow along with me again. We're in verse four. Boaz arrives and greets his workers in a very friendly manner. And this is going to be encouraging to us as readers. We see verse four. Behold, Boaz was coming from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, may the Lord be with you. And they said to him, may the Lord bless you. So so pausing right there as readers, we're actually really encouraged because here we see a man who fears and loves God. We don't know where Ruth's going to end up. We kind of have sympathy for her. What's going to happen to her? Is she going to find enough food? Is she going to come in contact with somebody who's going to treat her fairly and rightly? And and sure enough, not only do they allow her to glean here, but it's somebody who loves God and blesses his workers and they bless him. And this is great. You couldn't ask for a better owner of a field for her to come upon. And so that's great. Boaz um, notices Ruth at work in the field and asks his foreman who she is. Verse five, Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? The servants tell Boaz all about her. Verse six, the servant in charge of the reapers said she's the young woman, the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. And thus she has come and remained from the morning until now. And she's been sitting in the house for a little while. Apparently, the story of Naomi and Ruth is well known in the town. We don't know. Just like a small town, I guess, you know, where everybody knows everything. Hey, yeah, that's that lady who, uh, who came back with Naomi. You've heard that story, right? I mean, this, this woman who was devoted to her mother-in-law, she's not from around here, but she's um, decided to stay with her. And now she's here in our field. And they tell that to Boaz. Now, this is a key moment in the story. This is really important because, OK, she's been allowed to be in the field by these workers. But now the story has reached Boaz and he's ultimately the owner of the field. So now the decision ultimately rests on him. He could still turn her away if he wanted to or if he's just, you know, doesn't want, again, people who are poor in his field. He doesn't want somebody like that around. He could just say, well, send her away. I don't want her here. Um, Turn her away. Tell her to go to another field. Okay, what's Boaz going to do? Well, of course, because we know this story, we know what he does and he allows her to stay. And that's wonderful. Even more than that, he has compassion on her and treats her with special care. Verses eight and nine. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen carefully, my daughter, do not glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. So this is a tremendous blessing. This is great. Boaz not only allows her to glean, but he goes a step further and offers her protection. In verse five, you recall the first question that Boaz asked was, whose young woman is this? Do you remember that? If you look back, that's what he asked. He says, whose young woman is this? And the net Bible, if you look up on online, says, uh, to whom does this young woman belong? Okay, let me explain that a little bit. In, in that culture, okay, normally uh, there would be some male figure who would be taking care of a woman of her age. Either it is her husband or either it is her father 
or somebody uh, to, to watch out for. Because in that day, women were very vulnerable. You saw in verse eight and nine, he says, I've ordered my servants not to touch you, which is kind of like a gentle way of the author reminding us for us who aren't in that culture now, 2000 years or more removed from the situation that she could have been assaulted. Pretty much. She is one woman on her own in a field of other men who are working. And if they want to mistreat her, uh, they, they could. OK, and not lawfully, but I'm saying there were a lot of scoundrels back then, just like there are today. And and so Boaz's first concern is who's uh, who does she belong to? Who who takes care of her? Who's 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 the one looking out for her? Because she, he recognizes she's out in the field by herself. OK, she's vulnerable. She's alone. Um, she could be in danger. And and then they tell her or they tell Boaz um, that, that that there is nobody, in fact, that is looking out for her. She is widowed and she is with Naomi and she's traveled all this way and, and she's just by herself. But in God's sovereignty, when Boaz learned who she was, he didn't take advantage of her, but instead he had compassion on her and took on the role of a father protecting his daughter. And you notice that's what he says. He says, my daughter in verse eight. OK, that's because he's really taking this father role you know, upon her. Not literally, but I mean, he's really trying to look after her to protect her. And isn't that amazing? There are two kinds of men, unfortunately, in this world, it seems. Ones who want to use and abuse women and those who want to protect and nurture and encourage them. And thankfully, Boaz is of the second category. OK, he knows that in, even back in his day, there are many, too many people in the other category. And it's just so encouraging when he says, my daughter, it, it means that he's really trying to look after her as if he were if, if he were uh, his. Uh, sorry, her father. Excuse me. And so he's really looking out to, to, to protect her. He tells his servants not to touch her. He allows her to drink water out of his own well. And he puts her on the same category as his servants. You know, the same water well that they're drawing from, you draw from as well. It's a tremendous blessing. And it also, I think, goes back to Ruth and shows how much courage she had to go out in the fields in the first place. I said that that spoke to uh, her devotion uh, in, in that she was willing to just go out and provide for her mother-in-law, but also speaks to her courage. Ruth is a courageous person. She's going out alone. And very much in danger. She is risking her life being out there in the fields by herself. And she doesn't know what we know. We, she was not introduced to Boaz in chapter 2, verse 1, like we are. We, she didn't know whose, whose field it was or what the character of the owner was or the character of, of the servants. But thankfully, uh, she comes to a place where she is protected. Okay? And, and this shows that she is really trusting in God. Before she knew any of that, um, she wasn't seeking protection from Boaz. She didn't know who this person was, but she was seeking ultimate protection in God. And Boaz acknowledges that. He says in verse 12 that you have come uh, uh, to, to the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to seek refuge, is what he says in verse 12. So Ruth is really stepping out in faith amidst possible danger to herself. And God graciously provides Boaz so that she would be safe again. Knowing about Boaz's character really helps here. Um, we already said he's a God-fearing man, and that's cool. But knowing a little bit about the fact that he's a valiant warrior, I, don't, I think when Boaz said, I don't want anybody to touch her, I don't think anybody's going to cross Boaz. 
Okay, it seems like he has a bit of clout, a bit of authority. Okay, he's a man of stature, somebody you don't want to mess with. And so his servants obey him. Well, how does Ruth react? Okay, how would you react if you were Ruth and in this desperate situation and find out that you are under the best possible circumstances here? Um, She falls on her face, verse 10, bowing down to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Boaz replied to her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has fully been reported to me. And how you've left your father and mother from the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. And then she said, I found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. See, Ruth was humbled by the kindness that Boaz showed her and 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 all because she was a stranger. She was a foreigner. She didn't deserve it. She knew it. And she wonders why of all people she would be counted worthy to receive such favor. Boaz revealed that although he had never seen her before, he had heard about her and he knew that she cared for her mother-in-law and the uh, since the time of the death of her husband. In addition, he knew that she left her parents and come to this land that wasn't her own to worship a God that she previously didn't know. And for that, Boaz pronounces a, a blessing on her. And here is where you could say um, that this story is really turning out to be a wonderful love story. Okay? Ruth is alone. She's in need. Okay? And if you were to put this in terms of like Hollywood, all right, here's where we might say this is starting to resemble a Hollywood movie, right? Because here's this, this poor, lonely girl. She's, she's vulnerable. She's alone. She, she has uh, nothing uh, to her name. And then here comes this, this strong, prominent war hero, uh, Boaz. You know, he's wealthy. He's strong. He's well-regarded. And he comes and rescues her, right? In that sense, you might say it's like a Hollywood hero, a Hollywood movie, because here's this guy coming to to rescue her. Right. Okay. And I said in the beginning when we talked about Ruth, chapter one, this is a different kind of love story. But in another sense, I want to show you how this is not like a Hollywood movie that you would otherwise know. It's not like your typical story. For one thing, even though I went into this grand description of Boaz and what kind of person he is, the emphasis here is not on. Boaz's good looks, okay, as it might be in a Hollywood movie, okay? You always have like this strapping young fellow who's very handsome and he's chiseled and he's, you know, got guns and everything, okay? This, this doesn't describe anything about what Boaz looks like. For all we know, he could be like the ugliest guy on the planet, okay? Do you ever picture him that way? Uh, maybe we don't because we just have this like stereotype of our mind of, of all these love stories we've heard before. He could be ugly, Let's totally I want you to picture Boaz as the ugliest guy on the planet. OK, just picture him. All right. Picture his disfigured face or whatever, just to get the stereotype out of your head. OK, um, we don't know what he looks like and it doesn't focus on that. All right. It's not Ruth saying, oh, he's so handsome and wonderful. You like my Ruth voice? That was pretty good. OK, yeah, I love this guy. Um, no, it doesn't say anything about what he looks like. It doesn't even focus in on his wealth. I mean, it's said that. He has wealth and we know that, but that's not why Ruth is so amazed at him. Again, she's not swooning over how, oh, you're such a rich, wonderful, good looking guy. Okay, he doesn't say that either. Um, Rather, the emphasis of Boaz is on his godly character, 
the way he looks out for orphans and widows in their distress. You could say I'm quoting James 1:27. religion that God, our father, accepts is pure and faultless as this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's Boaz. And that's what we're told about him primarily above everything else. That's what Ruth admires. And that's what we're to admire. That's Boaz. He loves God. He has showed that in his words, um, he loves the Lord by the way he blessed his his uh, his servants. But he's also showing that in his actions. So it's more than just words. And that should be what draws us to him. If you're drawn to Boaz, if you admire Boaz today as you're reading this story, it should be his godly character that draws us to him. And women, especially young women. Uh, tonight, I, I want you to take notice of that, that the thing that the Bible emphasizes is not some young strapping man who's beautiful and, and gorgeous and, you know, strong and, you know, and rich and everything. And that's what we should be looking for. That's what you should be looking for. No, it's it's drawing us to his godly character. And that is what produces the most joy for, for Ruth. And that should be what you are looking for. Men are told in Proverbs 31:30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And the Bible has the same attitude when it comes to what women should look for in men. Again, I want you to picture Boaz as the ugliest guy on, on the face of Israel. OK, and, and even his wealth isn't so much the focus, but the fact that he is a God fearing man, somebody who is looking out for individuals who are in need. And he's seeking to protect them, not take advantage of them, is what we're to see. And that's his Christ likeness. Okay, that's the way he fears the Lord. That's what should draw us to him. It's the kind of thing that we should look for in a spouse, whether you're a woman or a man, in whatever case, it's the godly character. Secondly, you should also note that this is different from a Hollywood story in that there is no romance here. I said this is kind of like a love story, but right here, there is no love story to speak of yet. Okay, Boaz is much older than Ruth, for one thing. Um, and we don't know how much older. Again, if you want to, just to break the stereotyping, we can picture him as much, much older than Ruth. Okay, We, we don't really know. It doesn't say, um, you know, how much older. But he's, you know, he's tied to the family by Elimelech. Okay, that's, that's the way he's described. So we take him to be older than Ruth is. Okay, and, and he's not swooping in saying, you know, I'll save you from these scoundrels. And Ruth responding, my hero, you know, OK, it's not like he's pictured in that way, like he's coming in to get something for himself. Like I see this woman in distress. There are some men out there who are going to take advantage of you. And he's not saying, Ruth, I know those men out there. They're going to they're going to steal from you and they're going to take advantage of you. But don't worry, I'm here to save you. It's all right. Come and seek refuge in my arms. He's not saying it that way. Because oftentimes, again, in the movie stereotype, you know, there's these guys who swoop in and try and save the, the girl. And, you know, ultimately, a lot of times that's because they're attracted to the girl and they want the girl for themselves. We see no evidence that here he is, has romantic intent, that he's looking to marry her or that the reason he's helping her out is because he somehow wants to be in a relationship with her in any way or wants to marry her. He is only doing this because she, he sees she is a woman in need. That she could be taken advantage of and she and he is not looking at her as a lover. He is looking at her as a daughter. And, and he's looking to protect her as a daughter. Again, that goes back to his godly character. OK, 
And that's what draws Ruth to him, because she is just amazed that he would be somebody who would want to protect her, not take advantage of her. And again, that's what is so impressive. Um, He decides to help her and and she is grateful. Ruth resumes, resumes her work, excuse me, along with the others until it's time at midday to take a break. And and then we see as we read on that Boaz takes this opportunity to show additional kindness to Ruth. He calls her over to where the workers are eating and invites her to partake of their food. Verse 14, follow along with me. It says, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here that you may eat the bread and dip of your piece of bread in the, in the vinegar. And she sat behind, beside the reapers and he served her roasted grain and she ate and was satisfied and had some left. And then she returned to her work in the fields. Once again, Boaz told her workers in verse 15 and verse 16 not to insult her, but to let her pick up the grain that they dropped. And he even told them to intentionally drop some more so that she could have more to take home. He said, don't touch her, don't mock her, don't make fun of her because of her status. Let her pick up what you drop and drop some extra for her, please. And they obeyed. They listened. Ruth gleaned until evening. When she's finished... Uh, Verse 17 says she ended up with an ephah of grain. If you have an NAS, that doesn't really help us because we don't really measure that way. But that would have been about 30 pounds, a very large amount for what she set out to accomplish. And once she returned home, it was obvious to Naomi that something special had happened. That uh, she was able to collect this much grain because this is after she had beat out all the excess stuff and she had 30 pounds left. So this was a lot. This wasn't just the bulk stuff that she originally had picked up. This was after she had beaten it all out and gotten the stuff she could really use. So once she returns home, it's obvious to Naomi that something has happened, that she is coming back with so much. Something is special. Somebody had been nice to her. Verse 19, she says, where did you glean today and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. Ruth told Naomi the name of the man that owned the field. And uh, Naomi apparently immediately knew who this was. She says in verse 20, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man's our relative. He's one of our closest relatives. We're not told just how close he was. But again, it was through the, the line of Elimelech. So when she says he's one of our relatives, probably means it's through her husband's line. So not directly related to them. But uh, it says that he's one of our close relatives. If you have an NIV It says he's one of our kinsmen redeemers, kinsmen redeemers. And that's important uh, if if that is the correct translation, because there was a certain law in the law of Moses that said if somebody's husband died, you could have a brother or you can have somebody else within the family come alongside and marry that widow so that they would be provided for so that they could have children and continue on the family line. And so it wouldn't just stop with them. So that was allowed in the law and And apparently he is close enough to fit that description. Now, he's one of our kinsmen redeemers, which means there are many people who potentially could fulfill that role. But not everybody would. It's not that everybody would jump on that opportunity to just go and marry Ruth. It's not like there's going to be a line at the door for people to go and marry her. But she's saying he happens to fit that description. He's a close relative. Again, we would take this to be some sort of coincidence, but we know better. We know this is God's sovereignty at work, and this is going to come to play in the last two chapters as we get to them in in the following weeks. But Ruth went on to tell Naomi how Boaz had instructed her to remain close to the harvesters 
and, and just the good fortune that she had through Boaz's goodwill. And, and then verse 23, it says, So Ruth stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean till the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And, and if we do some of the math, that would have been from March until about the end of June. And then it says she continued to live with her mother-in-law. So that's where Ruth 2 leaves us. We're going to stop there as far as the scriptures go, and we'll continue the story later on. But I want to take some time, our last few minutes, just to explore some, some applications. So really, you want to know, what do we do with this? Okay, that's a great story in all, Pastor Dave. What do I take away from it? Okay, what do we learn? A few things, actually, and there are various different kinds of applications. This is very fascinating to me. First thing I see is, is a lesson about giving. Here we see that Boaz was somebody who was very, very generous. Somebody who willingly gave to Ruth of what he had. And I guess what strikes me about Boaz, of course we know him to be a valiant guy. Okay, We all leave this chapter feeling really good about Boaz. But personally, as I examine his character, I see here is a man who not only gave, but gave willingly. And it wasn't even a question in his heart. And I, and, and I kind of turn that back on myself and I wonder, how am I as far as giving? Do I have that same kind of attitude? Because, yes, I can give, but do I do so as willingly as this man did? You know, sometimes we can give and we can hear of somebody who is in need, somebody who um, is in a desperate situation. And we might give, but it might take us a little bit. We might say, I don't know, I've given to such and such and I've given to this cause and I don't know if I if I really want to. I guess I should. It's the right kind of thing. And maybe we end up doing it. But like, there's this inner turmoil in our hearts. We, we don't want to necessarily give up the money that we have for Boaz. What I notice is that this isn't even a debate in his mind. He sees somebody in need and he just goes right to it. He says, I see this person. She is not protected. I'm going to protect her and she can have as much of my field as she needs. He is a willing giver. And so that's challenging to me um, to, to, to be as giving as this man seems to be. So he's kind. But the second lesson I learned, despite his kindness, I think the second lesson we learned from this is that ultimately, even though Boaz is doing a, a lot of good things here, ultimately, Boaz isn't the savior here. And we shouldn't mistake him as such. He is not the savior. It is God that's ultimately at work. And, and of course, we need to take that application to an even greater degree than the first. We saw in verse 12 that Ruth had really come to uh, to the God of Israel, under whose wings she had come to seek refuge. That's what Boaz said. And God did provide for her. He provided protection. Ruth didn't know which field was Boaz's, but she simply chose the one at random. And God was watching out for her the entire time. He caused her to pick Boaz's field. He caused Boaz to look at her with favor. He caused Boaz's servants to not harm her. He caused Boaz to not just be somebody who was kind, not just be somebody who was God-fearing, but also be a kinsman redeemer at the same time. All of those things. Just like the story of Esther, when I got to preach on that, too many things line up that you just couldn't call coincidence. If it was one of those details, that'd be one thing. But so many of these things line up that you have to say that it is God. And, and she is not just giving thanks to, to, to Boaz for doing this, but God who is providing for her needs. God's sovereignty is always at work. Third lesson we can learn is that while God provided for Ruth's needs, he did so through the agency of Boaz. OK, so let me bring it back around to Boaz. So God is ultimately the one in control of our lives. Right. 
But the neat thing we also learn here is that Boaz is an agent of God's answering prayers. That's really cool. That means that God can use you and I to be the agents of answering somebody's prayer. Isn't that a neat thought? You know, we pray and ask God to answer a certain prayer of ours and we rejoice when he does. But it's really cool when God incorporates us into that plan to answer somebody else's prayer. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and tell you that? You know, if you showed a particular kindness to somebody, you know, maybe you can imagine a situation where uh, take take, for example, let's say there is a, a teen who is really down. You notice they're depressed. You notice there's something not not right, that they're just they just don't see themselves. And maybe you take the opportunity after a church service to go over and talk to them, ask, hey, what's up? You know, and you, and you develop a relationship with them and you talk with them and, and seek to ask how they're going, maybe offer to pray with them. And through weeks that go by as you have an opportunity to talk with them. It really makes a difference. It helps them to know that you're praying for them and that somebody cares. And, you know, imagine if a parent were to come up to you after all of that and say, you know what? Thank you. Thank you so much for reaching out to my son or to my daughter. You are an answer to my prayers. I have been praying. I have not. I've been trying my hardest to encourage them. And it just has been to no avail. But they've been lonely. They've been needing somebody to encourage them, to come alongside them and to, to be their friend. And I've been praying for somebody like that. And you are that person. You are the answer to my prayers. Isn't that neat? We see here that Boaz not only was just obeying what God told him to do, but he ends up being an answer to Naomi and to Ruth's prayers. And the cool thing is that we can be that to somebody without even knowing it. Boaz didn't know their situation beforehand. He was just doing what he thought was right. And inevitably, he ended up answering their prayers. We can do that, too. And and we might not even realize it either. One of the last lessons I want to share with you is um, just how much ministry a person can have in their sphere of influence. And by the way, they don't have to be a pastor or an evangelist or some other formal title in Christian ministry. I want you to consider Boaz. He was not a priest. He was not a Levite. He was an average guy. Okay, he he had a field and and he used what he had to glorify God. He ministered to Ruth using what he had. He ministered indirectly to Naomi through that. And think of the testimony he had to his workers. It says that he went out and said, may the Lord be with you. And they blessed him right back. We don't know anything about, you know, what conversations took place before then, what kind of ways he shared his faith with his workers, the way he made his faith known. But we can just tell from what's revealed that this is a man who makes his faith in God known, that his workers who work for him know about it and, and that it's incorporated into his speech. And it's not just empty speech, but it's, it's actions back, backing up that speech. Just by doing what God had given him to do, he has a tremendous ministry to everybody around him. He is able to make a difference in the lives of his workers. He's able to make a difference in the lives of Ruth. And I'm saying to you tonight, what sphere of influence do you have? You may not be a king or a queen or somebody in your mind as being a very big importance. But whatever sphere of life you have, you have influence in somebody's life. And through the way that you make your faith known and through the way that you live it out, you can influence somebody. Many people, in fact, that's what I see when I look at this example of Boaz. Last thing, really quickly, is just an application about race. We easily forget that Ruth is of another uh, another nationality. She's of a different race. Okay, 
Um, and yet that does not dissuade Boaz from helping her out. May our prejudices never get in the way of us helping somebody else. May we never allow race to come into the issue and, and, and change our attitude towards a person just because of race. He did not see he, he saw things, uh, you know, with without any kind of racial bias at all. And, and he didn't allow whoever Ruth was, whatever nation she was from, to influence his kindness to her. And that's pretty that's pretty neat to me. Those are all wonderful lessons I think we can learn from Ruth, too. And uh, may we just have compassion on those we see in need and use our resources to help them out. Let's pray. God, thank you for this example that we see in, in the life of Boaz. Thank you for the way, God, that you have provided people in our lives in times past to help us in our times of need. Maybe we can think of uh, individuals like that who have helped us out when we needed it most. Uh, God, thank you for that, for the way that you answer our prayers, for the way that we see in the life of Ruth that you are always with us, no matter what difficulty we are going through, that you provide for our needs. And sometimes, God, we don't know how we're going to going to make it, but you have things lined up perfectly in your sovereign will. You are sovereign over all things and you use individuals even to answer our prayers. And so, God, may we seek to be obedient to your word and may we take joy knowing that sometimes, God, you can use us to answer others' prayers, that we can be used as agents in that great work. And so, God, help us to be found faithful, to not be biased toward anybody, to not look down upon anybody if they are in need or in a lesser stance than we are. God, help us just to use the influence and the resources you have given us to bless others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed.